Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 79. Literary Alchemists, I'm Christiana Ellis. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we jump right into it, digging into what works and what doesn't, asking questions, giving answers, and trying to, uh, Help the thing become more of itself. Indeed. One might say even in the form of literary gold. (laughs) Indeed. Christiana Ellis returning once again as my my wing woman, my co-host for this episode. Always a delight, man. I I had a lot of fun. We we really haven't podcast together uh, uh, in spite of several years of orbiting each other. So this is a rare treat for me. (laughs) Well... Hopefully, less rare in the future. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and speaking of rare treats, let's let's not bandy words or fritter about any longer. Let's bring our guest host back to the big chair. Dear friends, returning from her triumphant and fabulous 20 minutes with, please welcome back to the big chair, Shauna Germain. Shauna, I am delighted to have you back. I'm even more giddy like a schoolboy at the prospect of workshopping a story with you ma'am thanks for coming back thanks for having me i'm getting used to this big chair it's kind of a <laughs> it's <laughs> comfy isn't it and it's washed after every episode so don't worry okay. <laughs> I wanted it until you said that <laughs> shauna uh, uh lead editor and co-owner of the monty cook games Empire of Six, uh, the uh, uh, at your your numerous uh, uh, fictional works that are out there. Uh, there's so much going on in your world. Uh, I, I'm I'm really kind of looking forward to the answer to this question. What's coming up in in your world in the next coming weeks or months uh, that you'd care to share with our listeners? Well, um, that's always such a hard question because I feel like I'm I'm juggling multiple things all at once. <laughs> on fire and you know hungry all at the same time um (laughs) uh, right now the big thing that i have been working on is a game for families a role-playing game for families uh called no thank you evil and it's based on the same rule system that numenera and the strange use which are our two other games uh but it's it's really trimmed down and, and slimmed down and so it's designed for families with kids to play um much easier and hopefully lots of fun and and so that's what I've been kind of working on my big thing for the for the past year or so. When is that going to hit stands? Do you think? Uh, you know, we we have not announced that yet, so it's still it's still a secret. Well, yeah, I just <laughs> I think the blog post just hit like a couple of weeks ago on the on the the Monty Cook site. Yeah, we just announced it a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you know you work on it sort of in secret for a year, and you, you, all this energy builds up, and you're just like, ah. Oh, <laughs> and then you finally get to tell people, and it's a very exciting moment. That's awesome. Very cool. So, so no thank you, evil. Available for family role playing coming out at an unspecified date. <laughs> uh, uh, anything else uh, percolating in in the in the Schrodinger's brat brain? <laughs> 
Uh, I have a couple of short stories that I have um, that I'm doing for some Kickstarters that happened earlier this year, and I'm also working on my Numenera novel, which is sort of the other big project that I have on my plate right now. Ooh, can you give details? Uh, I can, so my I can say a little bit. My my narrator is a sort of very feisty, one-handed warrior who. Um, is what in Numenera we call a poison eater. So she's a pretty interesting character. Interesting. All right, a one-handed poison eater in the Numenera world. Awesomeness ensues. Carry on. Awesome. Do you, do you have a do you have a, a a vague you know looking into your crystal ball? Are we looking late 2015, 2016? Um, you know, I think that we're looking late this year, but um. But I also have a, a bunch of other game projects that I'm working on. And so, you know, it's kind of it's a little bit up in the air. Um, fiction takes me a long time. I'm very slow. Mm. Um, and so and especially if I don't have a deadline, I tend to be slower. <laughs> <laughs> the deadline is the only reason some things get done. It is so true. And so until <laughs> I get to the current deadlines and then kind of someone else, you know, gives me a deadline externally and then I will. And then I will start working on it faster, probably. But I'm a, I'm a very slow fiction writer. Well, how about conventions? Do you have any conventions on your roster coming up? Yeah, we're doing all kinds of stuff at Gen Con, and I'm a guest at Dragon Con, where we're doing all kinds of stuff as well. Um, and those are the two big ones for the summer, and, and those are super exciting. We're going to we're gonna show the Numenera movie at Gen Con, which will be the premiere. Oh, my God! That's awesome! Yeah, it's a short film that was, it was kickstarted, and... Uh, we're super excited about it. They, 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 the people who are making it just such a good job. And yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those things that like you get to see the stuff that, that you wrote about and, it, and it's <laughs> real. It's just such a cool moment. See, now we're going to have to have you back on and we can talk about the comparison between the, the live cinema and the, the, the game and the written novel. Because by about that time, all of this stuff will be out and we can do a compare and contrast. <laughs> computer game will be out too by oh that's right year, which is going to be really interesting as well so we'll have all these like really interesting pieces parts that will make a very immersive experience i hope that's fabulous that's awesome well let me let me turn the mic over to christiana uh, uh for just a little bit christiana i know you're you're a, a creator making all manner of wonders in the world uh, uh what's what's coming off of your writer's desk in the in the coming weeks and months all manner of wonders is a charitable way to put it. Uh, <laughs> the analogy I used most recently is I grab a fistful of spaghetti and throw it out the wall and then reach down for the next fistful without even really looking to see what stuck. <laughs> um, what I'm actually working on right now is I have what was actually my second novel that the first draft of was written six, seven years ago now. And oh, I've wow. just been, I've been struggling with it because it's very different from anything else that I've written. It's dark, moody sci-fi with multiple POV characters. Hmm. That and, is different uh, from your usual canon of work. It is. And, uh, and so I've been kind of struggling with it. And actually, um, most recently I decided that what it really belongs as is not a novel that cuts between the characters, but rather, a collection of five related novellas. Hmm. And so I've been working on uh, getting that, you know, rewritten and restructured into that point. And then uh, what do I do with it? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, but I definitely have a number of other fiction projects on deck. That's kind of what I've been focusing on since finishing uh, Space Casey season two earlier, or I guess, you know, in 2014, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. trying to just like, 
Let's try to have some projects on deck here and not be completely <laughs> spent. Well, what podcasts are you going to be involved with in the coming year? Well, I am uh, currently in season for both talking about Survivor um, and Beyond the Wall. Survivor is straightforward. Beyond the Wall is done with the Specfic Media crew, and that's yes. about game, the Game of Thrones TV show. Uh, those are the ones that I'm most actively producing right now, but I also have a couple of other shows that have episodes come in, come out now and then, including just talking about stuff, which is also straightforward. <laughs> uh, and then frequently we sometimes do a podcast called Hey, Want to Watch a Movie, which is basically we get a bunch of people together on Skype and we all watch a movie in sync and it's not like it's mystery not like, science theater 3000 isn't it well it's not it's similar in su superficially but the basic idea here is not to fill it wall to wall with jokes on topic it's rather to replicate the experience of you're hanging out with friends and it's like hey let's put on back to the future and then talk over it <laughs> that sounds awesome it is it's that's, lots of fun that's we should awesome. do it more often and i don't know why i don't do it more often well, then, then let this be the let this be the clarion call. Make that happen <laughs> by all means. We did just earlier this year. We did the Goonies. Oh God, what fun! What fun! Awesome. Well, yeah, and of course they can they can check out your website uh, uh, to stay on top of all of that fabulosity. Correct. Yes, and actually, I can't believe I didn't mention I am also at the moment doing a daily five minute video series called Five More Minutes that I record first thing in the morning. <laughs> I saw that on your feed. That's that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, and your website is christianaellis.com. We don't use the bell; we use the whip. So <laughs> there it is. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I will make sure that all of that, both both Shauna and Christiana, both of your uh, uh, lists of fabulous things gets tucked into the liner notes so our listeners can can make with the clicky click and, and go and check out all that cool stuff. But right now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to I'd like to take a pause and give some podcast airtime to another fabulous podcast or ebook or some other project out there in the in the podosphere. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story with you both. What do you say? Sounds great. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm a salesman. I'm a natural salesman. <laughs> sold American. Do you cost. <laughs> Friends, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. 200 years into the future, mankind has conquered the solar system. Humanity has entered a new era of peace and exploration. But a looming threat could spell the end of everything. The fate of civilization rests in the hands of an unlikely hero. Um, excuse me, hero? You know, I've been called a lot of things over the years. Criminal, con artist, traitorous bitch. But hero? Well, yes, but they were being sarcastic. This is the story of how I saved the universe. Space Casey is an audio drama miniseries from Christiana Ellis. Subscribe now at www.spacecasey.com. You'll love it. Trust me. 
Welcome back, dear friends, and now we dive into the cyclotron of fabulosity that is the Roundtable Podcast, the workshop segment. And the workshop segment does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding forward boldly to lay his his infant idea upon the ground to the cruel hands of fate and the loving hands of our hosts and co-hosts. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is an electronic technician, a marine veteran, and a father of three. So he is no stranger to hazardous duty on all levels. Uh, he is also a veritable cornucopia of intriguements. He grows vegetables using aquionics. He cultivates his own gourmet mushrooms in his basement, and he has three koi fish in his living room. Whether they're stuffed, robotic, or in a bowl, that's not specified. Perhaps we'll find out later. Uh, He's also role-played every format of RPG, from tabletop to video to LARPing. Uh, He wrote his first story when he was nine, 30 years later completed his first novel, and has written at least 200 words a day, every day, so far in 2015, which pretty much makes him a badass. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, Michael Elliott. Mike, dude, it's never easy. Never, I don't care how badass you are, Marine or not, it's never easy putting your baby up for scrutiny. So we really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And this story is my uh, disrespectful stepchild, so beat it till it wails. <laughs> there we go. License license to beat delivered. So the koi fish, are they alive? Are they robotic? What are they? They are alive. They were intended to go out, and it's uh, called aquaponics. But, ah, uh, okay. Yeah, they are alive. They were intended to go outside in a large system, and I haven't gotten it built yet. So they're sitting <laughs> in a large aquarium in my living room. <laughs> waiting, waiting to be employed. Waiting <laughs> Awesome. So, and uh, and you know what's going to happen is the family's going to get used to them. They like them there. They're never leaving. You're going to have to get another set of koi fish to activate the aquaponic uh, uh, filter system. So, I'm predicting the future at that point. <laughs> okay, let's roll into this, Mike. Um, you know the routine. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the the title, the genre, the the, the format of the story, uh, a tagline, some thematic structures. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us some tent poles of the story, uh, uh, and we'll dive into a frothingly awesome brainstorming session on this story. I'm going to get out of the way, sir. The mic is all yours. Okay, the working title that I have for this is called Dungeon Deep. I consider this a dark fantasy. It is intended to be a novel with possible sequels, but we'll just start with one novel and see how it goes. The hook line is, A sexual assassin must face the wizard who cursed her fate in his dungeon kingdom. The theme for this is, The only way to defeat a monster is to become a monster yourself. Uh, For the world, the story is set in a broken-down fantasy city that got sacked in a war. The survivors were only children, and they grew up without much direction or ambition. There are gangs, organized crime, corrupt city guards, pretty much the worst part of society. Beneath the city is what I call the Dungeon Deep. It is a magically warded prison. The worst criminals are sent there, and few, if any, ever return. The dungeon is run by a very old wizard with little to no morals. All manner of fantasy races live in a dog-eat-dog sort of way of life down there. 
For the characters, my main protagonist I am referring to as Kristen, and I ha- I'm not set on any of these names, so if something sounds better, let me know. She is in her early 20s and has been, was cursed in her youth with the ability to place non-magical items on her skin as tattoos. She is really good at seduction and smuggling because of the curse. The thing that terrifies her the most is losing her humanity and becoming a user of people without power. Ultimately, she wants to free the town of the ruling grasp of the wizards, but we'll see how far she gets in that. At the start of the story, she's basically working as a prostitute until she finds out that the wizard who cursed her is still alive. By the end of the story, she will become an assassin with a talent for magic. For the love interest, I have a male character that I'm currently named Stend. And please let me, you know, if you have a better name, I'm willing to go with it. Uh, he is really good at minor magical spells and telling women exactly what they want to hear. Uh, the thing that terrifies him is being the weak stepping stone for others to attain their greater power. Ultimately, he wants to replace the evil mage who I have named Urgile and rule the dungeon deep. He will be at the start of the story just a low-level mage conjuring food in the dungeon as a way to get by, looking for a way to rise in the eye of Urgile. By the end of the story, he should become possessed by the combined spirits of two of the elder mages who will should die throughout the story. I also have a essentially a sidekick character that I'm naming Zilk. He is a goblin who was born and raised in the dungeon. He knows the lay of the land. He's a con man and he uses deception to get by living off of others' abilities. By the end of the story, he will be helping Kristen and have a change of heart and wants to be more than just living off the deeds of others. For the primary antagonist, the, the big bad guy, I have the evil mage or wizard named Urgile. He was the one who used Kristen as a guinea pig and to perfect his spell many years before. He's an arch wizard who is really good at seeing people's needs and weaknesses and exploiting them. Terrified of being used in the same way he uses others. It's pretty much his biggest fear. Ultimately, he wants to escape the dungeon and take his revenge on the ruling High Lord over the city. He has been imprisoned in the dungeon. At the start of this story, he is imprisoned there, but he ascends to the position of the most powerful in the dungeon through depraved cruelty and abuse. By the end of the story, his body is dead, but his soul and knowledge have possessed the love interest's end. So when we get to the actual story here, the primary conflict is Kristen wants to free, wants to be free of the magical curse that Urgile placed on her as a child. Kristen's humanity and the fact that she must become what she hates most to take down and possibly replace the wizards is what's most at stake for her. Some of the things that she will have to overcome is she must first locate Urgile, the evil wizard, and she must figure out a way to get into the magically warded dungeon. She must find her way into Urgal's fortified domain by befriending the dungeon's people who all have their own agendas and plans. She must overcome her fears and self-doubts and embrace her darker desires. And she must find a way to kill an archwizard, and I'm really hoping you all help me come up with a way that doesn't sound like deus ex machina. 
The story starts with Kristen working as a prostitute. While servicing a client, she discovers that the wizard who cursed her is still alive. The discovery is like the opening of an old, old wound and the cruelty and suffering she endured for years under the curse becomes too much. But knowing that the wizard is alive galvanizes her to take matters into her own hands. If she can find the wizard, she can force him to undo the curse and she'll be free. She seeks out Melzik, a powerful wizard in the city who is the only one who will likely know the whereabouts of Urgal. Using guile and brazen allure, she seduces Melzik and threatens the wizard with a knife to reveal the location of Urgal. He agrees to show her, but then frames her for murder, dooming her to the dungeon deep. Before she's transported, Melzik tells her Urgal rules the dungeon and that only with a scepter of power can she hope to defeat him. Furious at his betrayal, she takes the scepter and, using her curse, absorbs it onto her skin, vowing to herself that both wizards will pay for their cruelty. She is transported into the dungeon deep and is immediately set upon by a group of thugs. Things have gone from bad to worse, but she learns in a hurry that the only way to survive is to kill. This earns her the help of a sly and crafty goblin named Zilk. Hunger forces them to seek out the only person in the dungeon who has food. Money is of no use there, but she can pay with sex or service. It is degrading for her, but Kristen chooses to kill the vendor's rivals. She refuses Zilk's help, choosing to take the rivals alone. Her luck fails her when her feminine charm is of no use. She is beaten and thrown away like trash. She drops into self-loathing, and she realizes that it is only by the leaking magic of the scepter that she has absorbed that she was able to survive. Zilk finds her wandering in the deepest and most dangerous areas of the dungeon. By daring to trust the goblin, Kristen is able to kill the rival and return to Stend, who is the food vendor. Stend treats her nice and feeds her well with drugged food that knocks her out in Zilk too. Betrayed and imprisoned and weaponless, Kristen loses all hope for achieving revenge and being rid of her curse. She shares a cell with a concubine who takes a liking to her. When the prison guard tries to have his way with them, Kristen rallies her courage and kills the guard, freeing them both. When Kristen finds Zilk being tortured by Urgao, she must rely on the magic that has seeped into her, which she detests, and save him and kill Urgao. In the end, killing Urgile fulfills her revenge, but does not lift the curse. Kristen finally sees the curse as a gift and embraces the magic she has gained. By the end of the story, Kristen has elevated Sten through her deeds as the most powerful wizard left in the Dungeon Deep. He would like her to re remain as his queen, but she cannot forgive his betrayal. The power of the scepter has infused Kristen with an affinity for magic, Kristen, Sten, Zilk, and the concubine who I've named Meat are all still trapped in the Dungeon Deep. And that wraps up the story that I have come up with so far. Okay. All right. Good pitch. Good pitch. Um, Mike, what are you hoping to get out of this next 45 minutes or so? Well, I would like... Um, the story to me feels a bit too linear. Uh, I, I, you know, Dave, feel free to hit me with the 180s and the what-ifs because <laughs> I, I think it needs a few more twists and turns. Oh, I won't be the only one throwing those out on this on this panel, my friend. I can guarantee you that. So, okay. Right. And uh, also, I, just a few more things. I know that the, the villains seem to need a bit more depth. 
if we keep the title Dungeon Deep, I would kind of like the dungeon itself to become more of a character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, please help me scrub the story for cliches. I may not always <laughs> see them myself. Absolutely. Well, I, I think we have we have gathered the proper constellation of luminaries to do precisely that. But before we do, uh, let's throw down and cover our asses with a, a patented disclaimer. Christiana, would you be so kind as to deliver said disclaimer? Absolutely. Michael Elliott, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Shauna might be complete bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? Uh, I'm sure we all realize that a great garden grows on beautiful manure so lay it on thick and deep I'm, I'm awesome not only are we are we covered we're blessed now to go ahead and, and spew the bullshit fabulous all right let's dive into this our our, our custom here at the round table is to take a quick turn around the table for just some some a brief uh first impressions and and some questions of clarification and we always start with our guest host so shauna germain start us off what are your first impressions of michael's story concept story pitch and do you have any questions of clarification clarification for him oh, i wish i had more paper i was trying to take notes <laughs> i know right <laughs> it's wonderfully complex and thought out that i i was sort of scribbling notes and and um like i feel like there's been you've done so much work in in sort of setting the scene and setting the stage that i could really clearly see where you want to go or you know hopefully um and kind of the story that you had in mind so that's awesome i do have i had a question which uh, may or may not be important, but if if the wizard used her for a guinea pig, how did she get free of that experience? Was it because he was imprisoned, and or or was that just like a a one time? I, I just wondered how she managed to become in the place where she is. So you're asking if the if the wizard's in the prison, how did he experiment with her, and then she got out? Right, or or I assumed that that was before he was imprisoned, and ah. in that case, how did she get free of him? Mm, good, yes, yes. This the way the- I see it. That, uh, yes, it was before he became imprisoned that she was a young child, and pretty much he was using her to perfect a spell, so he tried it on her, it kind of half worked, he tossed her aside and got somebody else to to try more on. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Any other questions or or clarifications? I I don't think so. I I think I can follow the plot and the characters and stuff. I have have lots of stuff I want to talk about, but I don't have any more (laughs) questions other than sort of like... You know the big, the big picture, uh, complicated stuff. <laughs> awesome, awesome. We will dive into that just in a, in in, the, in a trice. Uh, but let me turn it over to Christiana. Christiana, uh, first impressions and any questions for Michael? Well, first off, I am a total sucker for like magical prisons and, uh, <laughs> and just you know prisons designed to keep super powerful, magical, or super powered people locked up. I just, all of that stuff. Um, I, I'm a total sucker for that. And so I'm definitely, uh, agree with what you kind of expressed, which is that you want the dungeon itself to be a character in the story. Um, I did have a couple of questions. Uh, one is, uh, just to clarify with Kristen's curse, she can place the magical or the non-magical items on her skin as tattoos. Is, is that permanent or can she kind of re-exude it out to be an object again? She can, basically, the the way I envisioned it was 
say she needed to sneak a dagger into some to somewhere to assassinate somebody, she could lay the dagger on her skin and it becomes a tattoo on her skin. And then when she needs it, it's kind of like ripping off five layers of skin at a time, but she can peel it back up and it becomes a physical item again. Okay. That is kind of what I figured, and mm-hmm. it's cool. Um, mm-hmm. What I have to ask, though, is despite what I'm sure was a very traumatic process of getting this ability, mm-hmm. why is it so much of a curse now? Good question. <laughs> and, yes, Dave's beat me up with this one already. Um, <laughs> the the way I see it is you, you kind of have to know a little bit of the backstory of the town that when there was this war that I, I haven't gone into very much detail about, the town wasn't protected. There were supposed to be, there were three major older wizards who were supposed to protect the town, and they did nothing. And so from that time on, pretty much magic has become reviled. So the fact that she has an ability that is very magical is not necessarily a good thing to everybody around her. So Could she just hide it? Well, yes, she would have to. Well, I, so I guess that's, I think, maybe something that could still be tweaked because it, we could just imagine that, I mean, okay, she would have to hide it, so she does, and then what's the problem? Well, the, the problem is she still wants revenge. She wants to be clean of what she sees as, you know, a magic taint. But Fair enough. I, I, I do have to <laughs> emphasize that I'm not married to any of this, so okay. if something sounds better, throw it at me. I'm willing to consider it. Well, like I said, I'm just, uh, I, I wonder if, if you want it to, if her whole motive is revenge, right? She mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have a lar- at least at first, she doesn't seem to have a larger goal beyond, I'm gonna go kill this guy what he, for what he did to me. I feel like I almost want it to be something more than something that she could just hide, but she knows is there. Like maybe it's something that's very difficult to hide. Like what if she, can't even necessarily always control it. Like, what if it sometimes happens involuntarily or something? I was wondering how she keeps from having her clothes just become tattoos. So, yeah, I could see that being a problem of, you know, you pick up a coin somebody left on a table and all of a sudden it's a tattoo on your hand. It it would be kind of hard to... to... Let's keep that on the table, because I I agree with you, Christiana. It doesn't have quite the goad of a curse that I must revenge myself against... Uh, yeah, it feels almost more like a superpower. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds very cool. Yeah. Uh, and and from a from a storytelling standpoint, everybody's got to go. Ew, no, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you one bit for being pissed. So okay, so I did actually have just a, a couple more clarifying questions. Yeah. At first, I thought you said that Urgile ran the prison, but then what you said is that he he is actually imprisoned there, but has is just like he's very powerful in the hierarchy, I guess. Um, that made me wonder, like, is there a warden? Uh, again, the way I envisioned it was that it's a dungeon that, that's deep below the ground. There's no actual entrance to it. There's just a magical portal. And that it is warded against the people who are sent there that they can't come through. So he's actually in prison there, but because of his magic, his power, his ruthlessness, he has taken it over as his own magical kingdom. Well, so as a as a uh, a follow up to that, you mentioned uh what Stend wants is he wants to replace Urgal. Mm-hmm. But why does he want that instead of to get out? Does he just think that's hopeless? 
I don't have a good answer for that, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there's there's stuff to work with here. There's definitely yeah. stuff to work with here. Anything else, Christiana? Uh, no, those were the, the clarifying questions I had. Okay, cool. For myself, uh, I'm with Christiana. I love the idea of a dungeon uh, uh, that is set down inaccessible where you just throw people away and never hear from them again. Uh, uh, that's fascinating and intriguing. I love the idea of a, of a, of a, of a sacked city. Um, my question is, where does the dungeon come from? Who created it? How long has it been here? Do you know? Um, not really. No. Okay. <laughs> I do have an idea of, should there become a sequel? I, I have, I have the idea of how they would get out of but the dungeon. It, but it was there when the conquerors came in, right? Or are the, are the conquerors, are the conquerors still there or do they just sack and leave? I'm going to say they sacked and leave. They they killed off all the adults, and the kids at the time survived by living in the sewers. So, I mean, once they left, then the kids come out. They were able to grow up with no training, no ambition, you know, nobody to lead them. And you kind of get the dregs of society at that point. Okay, so so nobody came after the conquerors or the, 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 the ravagers came and sacked the place and left. Nobody else came to like say, holy crap, there's this whole city sitting right here and there's just kids in it. Let's take over and, and, and run this for ourselves. Yeah, that could be a problem. Couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, I, I, other thoughts that that was the, that was one of the things the, the origin of the dungeon, I think, could have a lot of uh, cool ramifications in the story. Um, and also the, the the maybe just a, a smattering of the larger world. So we understand the the, the context and what's at stake uh, uh, culturally for what's going on, because that was the other thing that was missing. I really lost a sense of culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel medieval. I didn't feel uh, Arabic. I didn't feel oriental. I didn't feel anything as far as the flavor and i think maybe we can work on that as well um a couple of the questions uh uh i'll let that one ride um are the mage who's in charge are the mages in charge of the city Are are they all powerful the way i see it is the high lord and the elder wizard that she goes to are two of the three that were supposed to protect the city and didn't so they are de facto in charge and then the third one was Urgile who got sent to the prison hmm. so it is the the three elder wizards who are supposed to protect them two of them are still above in the city one of them's running the city and a third is in prison beneath it oh, there's some tension right there <laughs> awesome. did you did you go into why they didn't was it just that they sort of felt like they were unequal to the task so they fled or was there some other i see it more of uh they saw the people as beneath them as things to toy with they really didn't they didn't feel it was worth their time to protect them and so there's a there's a lot of animosity between the quote common people and the the magic where was this expectation then, though, that they were supposed to protect the city? Mm, in history, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we can work that in. We can we can tie all of that stuff in because I, I hear your gears turning, Christiana, on that. So we can we can play with that. Um, just a co- other couple quick points. Um, I like Kristen a lot. Stend needs some work. He's a little flat. Zilk, unfortunately, is my favorite character so far. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Goblin con man, you had me a goblin con man. That's it. You're 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 my guy. Uh, uh, so um, we might need to to work them up. Urgile. Uh, uh, I love the idea of an imprisoned mage becoming the king of the prison. Uh, uh, he, I, the end bothers me, where where Urgile and Merton take over Stend. Stend is the love interest, but he's behaving like a complete prick uh, pretty much through the entire thing. There's, there's nothing lovable. There's, there's nothing in me saying, ooh, Kristen, hook up with this guy. He's awesome. No, he's drugging her. He's kicking her. He's, he's imprisoning her. He's driving, throwing her away as trash. Uh, uh, the fact that he's the only one with food in the dungeon. I, how many people are in this dungeon? What's the population? Large. It's thousands? Um, well, I envision it as a lot of the fantasy races. If you think from tabletop gaming, you have your, your underground monsters of all different types. Are they feeding on each other? Is is food dropped in? Is, are there farms? I mean, how, how are these people living in this dungeon? Um, yeah, you got me again. Okay. All right. No, that's cool. That's awesome. Well, you know, these are the questions we ask and then we fill in the blanks as we workshop. So that, that's something else I want to, I want to just toss out there. Okay. Let's, let's dive into this then. Uh, Shauna, you had mentioned you had some, some big picture issues to, uh, to, to raise. Let's, let's raise those up now and, and start us into the brainstorming proper. What's on your mind? Well, it won't surprise you to discover that, of course, I, the first thing I zoned in on is the character. Um, yes. Who I, I agree. Is, uh, let's, you know, I want to specifically talk about Kristen, who I think is super cool and awesome, and, and I love the idea of the tattoos. And um, and so, but when you first introduced her, I believe you said that she was a sexual assassin. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Tell me what that is, because as soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah. But then I felt like I didn't actually understand what that meant. What, what I... And originally intended with that was that she was an assassin that gets hired to kill people, and then she poses as a prostitute to mm-hmm. get them off guard and alone. And so while getting them at their most vulnerable, she then can you know reach behind her, pull a knife out of her own skin, and take them out. Okay, so that's brilliant, and I totally mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I was thinking about is a couple of times you mentioned that she found the experience of being a prostitute degrading, and I sort of wondered whether she would be a more powerful, um, less passive character if you considered actually making her love her job um, so that she actually finds that there's a lot of power in that. She loves being a sexual assassin. Um, and so th- there she's she's making some choices and she's living a life, you know, I mean, Part of it is that, you know, she's she's out for revenge. She has this curse. She has to do this job that she hates. And and on one hand, like having a character who's down and out is is really easy to feel for. And on the other hand, it's it's hard to kind of be excited about someone who um, doesn't have anything that they love or that they're passionate about or that, you know, other than revenge, which is a great story. I love that story. Um, and so I was thinking about the possibility of making her more active in her own story. And, and that's one possible way to do it. And then, of course, the other possible way is to actually have it not be that she gets accidentally stuck in the dungeon, but that that's her plan. 
that she knows that this dude is down there. And so she does all the cool things that she does to be a sexual assassin to get herself placed in the dungeon. And then there's this character that we can sort of really root for. Um, and But, of course, the dungeon isn't, like you described, the dungeon's not what she thinks it is, and she's going to get her ass kicked, and it's going to be awful. But, you know, she thinks she's she's ready for this. Um, and, it, and that's a direction that you may not want to go at all. But I sort of felt like I wanted her to have some kind of thing um, where she really took an action in that early that early segment. Well, and and you know that that kind of sparked a thought for me. What if what if it more? What if she's more than just a sexual assassin? You know, what if you know certainly assassination plays a part of it. But what if she's also gathering information? What if she's uh, uh, an information bro? In fact, what what if she? Okay, here we go. What if she is? You know, th- everybody hates the wizards. The freaking wizards! They were supposed to save us. They didn't. All of our parents are dead, uh, uh, and we were forced. She's gonna organize a coup. She's part of the underground. So now she's got something at stake. Uh, above and beyond and nobody nobody is going to follow somebody with magic magic is out magic is not going to work as a leader for the new order after we throw these fucking wizards out so now she's motivated to to find a cure and maybe you know she probably likes it maybe it's not a curse but it's stopping her from what she truly wants which is freedom for her people for her city and for herself i like that i yeah i do too um i really like the idea also that the going to the dungeon is is purposeful like yes she, she's yes. trying to make that happen once she finds out Urgile is there she's like okay that's where i need to go then one other thing that actually occurred to me just in terms of this uh sexual assassin thing is that i, I especially since it seems like you want her to be just sort of super dark and badass especially here at the beginning um maybe one of the ways to do that that ties into the information broker idea is that She'll pose as the as the prostitute, get in there and then sort of reveal herself and threaten to kill the guy unless he tells all the secrets and then kills him anyway. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I I like that. I like that. And, and, you know, as far as getting into the dungeon, you know, if if we make Merton uh, uh, one, Merton is one of the, the two outer wizards. Right, Michael? Yes. Okay. Let's make Merton see, and I'm starting to see this very cool kind of Game of Thrones power play going on. I almost don't want to get her into the dungeon quite so soon. Uh, uh, maybe take some time and and build up the, the 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 terror and the awe and the mystery of the dungeon. Have us see a few people go in there and see the terror of of them being consigned to the dungeon deep. And oh my God, what does that mean? Uh, uh, so that the reader is is built up to this froth of holy crap! I've got to see what's inside this dungeon. Uh, and while you're out there, you can play this whole political game. Maybe Murtic is the is the the jailer. Maybe he's the guy who decides who goes into the dungeon deep and who doesn't. Uh, and and instead of having her seek out, you know, playing on what you were talking about, Christiana, instead of seeking out Urgile, Maybe she just wants to get rid of the curse. It doesn't have to be Urgile. If she if if she's wanting to be a leader and she can't have this thing on her anymore, it's gonna it's gonna get in the way of her leading her people. Then she needs to get rid of it. So maybe Urga uh, Murtic sends her into the dungeon to find a guy who can take it off. And later on, it's a reveal. Holy crap! It's the dude that actually did it to her in the first place. Whoa! Save that as a reveal for later. The stuff that you guys are talking about is making me think so that, you know, her fear is, is losing her humanity. But I, I also feel like it's 
finding her humanity in the kinds of ideas that we're throwing around. Um, and so part of the possibility of, of that is, you know, if she really is determined to sort of get this curse removed, of course, one of the possibilities at the end is that she discovers that she's awesome with the curse and people will follow her anyway, right? Which is one sort of possible character arc, which allows her to, to realize that, she, you know, she the thing she was worried about isn't actually the thing that she should have been worried about. Um, and it's something else entirely. But it depends on how, like, I sort of, I'm, I'm torn, right? On one hand, I, w- I want her to sort of embrace this curse and, and be kick-ass and, and badass because of it. On the other hand, I think it's a really cool story that you have been given this thing that you really want to get rid of, and it keeps you from doing the things that you want to do. Um, but they're two really different stories, and they have really different thematic elements for me. And so I think one of the main things is is figuring out which one of those she follows. And a lot of the story pieces will fall into place from that yeah. because it'll lead to the ending and it'll lead to the revelation. And, you know, if, if it turns out that I mean, revenge stories are so fascinating, right? But a revenge story and a curse removal story are kind of different elements. And, and you can have them both if they're united by a theme. And so I think well, that will be important. My ad- idea was she gets her revenge and it doesn't remove the curse. So she is she's not going to be free of it. Uh, however, the story ends. Ah. So maybe that because kind of following up with what Shauna was just saying, it's like maybe she wants revenge and she wants the curse to be removed. But which one's first on that list? Right. Like mm-hmm. if it was presented to her as a, as a choice, like you get one or the other, which would she pick? But at the same time, I I almost, I kind of like the idea, too, that the the part of her arc is not realizing that they're different things, just sort of her sort of instinctively believing that they are one in the same. Well, maybe, Getting maybe revenge is what will remove the curse and then finding out that it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Which could lead you into the next story. Sure. Or, or, or even coming to terms with what you thought was a curse. I mean, there's a potent theme right there is uh, uh, the idea of God, I hate this thing that I have. But, you know, if you can shift your perspective, the thing that you have may not be such a bad thing. I don't know. One thing that I was thinking about was was making uh, uh, what what if what if Kristen isn't the only kid who was experimented on? And what if not all of the kids managed to escape with a cool nifty tattoo power uh, uh, from the experimentation? What if there's this subculture of mutants or, or the afflicted, or, or the tainted, that are all the victims of Urgyle's experimentation, and she's one of them. And the taint of that is 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 strong because you know not only do people dislike wizards, but they like dislike people that that were touched by wizards. Uh, so this these people would be ostracized, and they're her people. Uh, uh, and and you know they suffer under this 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 curse. Uh, of perception and of of affliction, uh, and and having having them figure in. See, I'm I'm looking at the whole political power. What if what if I'm sorry. One more thing. What if Urgyle went into the dungeon with something Murtic needs? What if Murtic was too hasty in throwing Urgyle into the dungeon? And and Murtic's real game is to get something out. Because the thing about an inescapable dungeon is it's never inescapable. People are going to be bending their will every day to find a way to get it. Oh, crap. Maybe the kids, the warped kids, because of their connection to Urgyle, have found a way to go in and out of the dungeon. 
Hmm. Oh crap! <laughs> I'm so, I'm just kind of just pinging ideas around. I, I'm not there's 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 no continuity here. But the, the the idea the idea of somebody going in and not being able to come out. I mean that's I mean that's a one way trip. I mean if she wants to go into the dungeon, there's got to be an exit strategy. Otherwise, you're committing suicide, right? Well, that might be your exit strategy, depending on what she desires. Yeah. That's true. It could be that's that that could be the story is is I but then she has to, you know, not want her life has to suck so bad that the only option is revenge and then death, that that is somehow favorable to her life outside of the dungeon. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, she could just be a, I mean, martyrs do that all the time. Right. They just believe so strongly in the thing that they're doing. And it's not it's not necessarily depression. It's 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 belief. Right. It's yeah. the desire of being driven by that. That the mission is more important than their own, their own lives. That's a good point. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, we talked a little bit already about the idea that uh, the dungeon sort of needs to be a character in the story, and and I think that a lot of what we're talking about might start to flow naturally from the character of the dungeon if you're if you're able to solidify that a bit more, right? Like this idea of what is the nature of this space? Is it just an underground cave with no route to the surface? Is it a parallel dimension? Is it uh, oh, some crap. magically created place? Does it have borders? How big is it? Does it have sunlight? Do they are they able to grow food? And I think some of you know if if you can start to have a more complete picture in your mind of what is the space of this, not just the function of that's where they send undesirables, but like. How does it work? What is it like to be there? And uh, and I think some of those things, if you're able to have a more detailed picture, is going to help some of this other stuff because then that's when you're going to start being able to say, oh, well, that's maybe how it'll work if it's like this. Because, for example, one of the missions from Merton, although I thought you said Melzik also. I wasn't sure if I... I I might have misspelled. I might have missaid that. So maybe instead of needing to get something out, it could be like, well, what if there is some sort of a spell that's still linked to him and he just needs it destroyed? Like, you wouldn't necessarily need something to come out, but he needs something to happen in there. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to go himself because there's no way out. That sort of thing. You know, that's intriguing because, you know, what if... They think it's a dungeon, but it's not. What if it's a starship orbiting a planet somewhere? What if it's a, 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 a transportation dice to an old mine that mined exotic minerals that, that could do perform wonders of, of healing or magic? What, what if nobody understands what the dungeon is and part of the story while Kristen is down there and, and going with your vibe, Shauna, about her uh, going, I'm going in to die, I'm going to get revenge, and I'm going to die. And then suddenly, here's a game changer. Holy crap, this thing could heal the sick, this this mineral that's down here. Or, or this is something that changes the whole game, and now she's got to get out. And now now she's motivated. Now, now she has to work with her enemy to get out somehow. I, I just had an interesting idea, and this is, again, something you may not want to do anything with because it's very specific. But I just had this image of uh, when Frodo puts on the one ring in Lord of the Rings and how it just seems like he's sort of like he's still where he is physically. But there's also sort of this alternate shadow realm that 
it's there. And okay. I was just thinking, it's like, what if the dungeon is not actually some sort of a deep underground space at all, but rather some sort, it's like just everyone there is just out of phase. Oh, it's, it's an overlay so, with the regular city. Yeah. So it's like, they're still running around feeling like they're more or less in the same city and they can see all the people who are not in it, but now they are intangible to the people who are not in the dungeon or something. That so that a, was just an idle idea. I don't know. If no, that's, that's cool. Want to go with? That's cool. That, I, I yeah, like I'm that. Have idea. To think on that one a bit. See if I can work that in. Yeah, that could have that could have some cool ramifications. Because then, if the dungeon is broken somehow, then everybody just appears in the well, city. Well, there's also the the idea that someone who's in the dungeon would then have free reign to find out all this sort of secret information oh. because they can just pass through yeah. walls and observe things happening and be completely unobserved and so could you could have that be some way to uncover a conspiracy that she wasn't aware of before going into it sure sure because nobody knows what the dungeon deep is outside of the dungeon so it could yeah awesome we i I think we're getting kind of nerdy uh, on this, which is cool and awesome, and and you want to have that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing the mic back over to Shauna and and bring us a little more into the, the into the character realm. Uh, Shauna, did you have any ideas for Stend at all? Did uh, as far as his character goes? Well, I I actually want to ask a couple of questions that actually I don't think need to be answered, but I want to throw them out there for Mike just to think about before sure. that. Um, and one of the things that I I want to make sure that is clear to the reader and maybe you don't have an answer for this yet is so the wizard did these experiments, this experiment on her and she was a failure and, but I don't know what his actual goal was. And so I think that that actually has, is going to play a lot into who his character is. So like whatever the goal of his experiment was, if she's a failed version and, and potentially there are all these other failed versions out there, I would like to know a little more about what his goal was so that I can have a better understanding of him. And that will probably guide a lot of his character's depth yeah. and what he's doing now. And then the question I have for Kristen is, is who does she love? And I don't mean the sort of love interest of stand that comes later. I mean, who does she love now? Who, when you walk into the story, what is the thing that she holds valuable? And it, it doesn't have to be romantic. It doesn't even have to be a, a, a person but like, you know, I have this, like every character has to love a kitten, right? Even your villains. Need something <laughs> that they love I actually pet. have something for that was uh, part of the, the story I, I've cut out of the way for the, the pitch was I, I wanted to write a scene where after she's this horrible killer and everybody's afraid of her and you know she's just murdered somebody and gotten payment for doing the job. She goes back to her, you know, little bed at the bottom of a tavern and has a really beat up stuffed animal that she like cuddles and cries with because she just did this horrible thing yet again. Yeah, that's a great idea. Something that she it makes me think of. Um, uh, God, what was the MTV show with the gardener? Uh, I just and the id. Do you guys remember that? Uh, Max, the Max. She has a stuffed bunny and uh, and that's an important part of her character. Um, and so, okay, so back to Stend, who, um, here's how I feel. Uh, you don't have to have a romantic interest. Um, and so if, if he's there mostly to serve as a romantic interest, I would, I would ask what his secondary role is, um, and whether, whether that's super important. Um, because he's, he's, as far as I can tell, he's not, like, if his goal is to become the next Urgile, then he's not super sympathetic. And that's okay. We can have a love interest who isn't. Um, but it says a lot about a person. So it's going to say a lot about our, a lot about Kristen that this is the guy that she chooses to have as her love interest. 
Um, and so if she's choosing a guy who wants to be the guy that she thinks she's getting revenge on, it says a lot about how broken she is. And that's not a bad thing, right? We want our characters mm-hmm. to be broken. But it, it needs to be really clear that, like, wh- you know, whoever he becomes, she, if she chooses him, that says way more about her than it does about him. And so um, I would consider, as you're, as you're trying to deepen him, I would consider what is, what are we trying, what are you trying to say about her? You know, because if, if she just falls in love with him and he wants to be the next Arga, there's a repetition there of, of character that's a, a, interesting and explorable. But if he's just, he's a super nice guy that says something different about her. And so he is a reflection of her choices and her internal landscape. Um, and that'll be really important because the reader will make a lot of decisions about Kristen based on that. That's Yo. great. I'm going to have to really think on that quite a bit because... Uh, <laughs> That's a depth I hadn't gone I, to. Sorry, I never given you the answer. To <laughs> Nor should you ever. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and you know, if 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 we're working with the vibe of of Kristen railing against circumstance and trying to change things, then having Stend be somebody who's trying to deal with what he's got could be an intriguing contrast. Because here comes here comes Kristen, a wrecking ball uh, through the careful ordered chaos of the dungeon deep. Uh, uh, she's a blunt object. She's shaking things up. She's breaking walls, breaking convention. Uh, uh, and if Stend is one of those adapters, you know, he's he's little finger from from Game of Thrones. All the characters from Game of Thrones, uh, uh, you know, where where you're a- adapting, you're using your environment, and you're you're. He has accepted where he is, uh, and that could be, you know, on the one hand, a, a valuable lesson for Kristen to s- see someone who is in a crappy situation but is still doing okay, and and Kristen's passion and her desire to to not accept the status quo could be the spark that that kindles Sten's desire to say, okay, you want to fix things, then we got to go to the big guy. And it's only when he meets Kristen that he gets this, okay, we can do this. Let's let's go for the big guy. And now you both characters are being transformed by each other. Um I have some thoughts on on Zilk. Uh, Ooh, by all means. So uh people who have listened to Nina Kimberly and Space Casey will probably know that I have a soft spot for con artist characters generally. I am <laughs> fascinated by them. Uh, but part of the fascination comes from the tension between the fictional archetype of the street smart trickster spirit lives by his wits sort of thing and the fact that real life con artists are really awful people. <laughs> so the lovable rogue con artist that's, uh, you know, an archetype in a lot of fantasy and then the reality of someone who actually cons people for a living. I like that tension and mm-hmm. I like the idea of what draws someone to actually choose that way of life. And so we could imagine, for example, that in this very dangerous place of the dungeon, maybe he's, you know, Zilk is not the biggest and the strongest. So what does he have? Well, he's a fast talker. And so maybe that's how he gets into it. But does he like it? Or oh. is he just doing it to survive? Oh, maybe Zilk is the guy that you go to when you want something. He's, he, you know, you need something that nobody else can get. Zilk can get it for you. How? Because Zilk has a door out of the dungeon. 
<laughs> and he ain't telling nobody. He likes it in the dungeon. He's a big guy in the dungeon. He ain't going to tell nobody about the back door that he found, but he's zipping out into town and, and stealing stuff or maybe even buying stuff. Who knows? I mean, God, people have probably forgotten all the people that are down in the dungeon. So, so an extra goblin wandering around town, big deal. Uh, uh, but having that be his secret. And and that would actually work into what I've already got laid out for, the way to eventually get out of the dungeon is what would be the sequel is a really old cavern system beneath the dungeon. Well, when Kristen is presumed dead and she heals and is walking around, Zilk finds her down in the deep, dangerous, quote, you know, quote, dangerous part of the dungeon, which he would be down there if that was his passageway out. Okay. Yeah. So that actually sure. works with what you were just saying. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. And he's going, holy crap, we got to get her out of here now. Otherwise, she's going to find my back door. You know, yeah. one of the one of the things uh, my my instinct when you were talking about Zilk, uh, Dave, when you're talking about Zilk being, you know, the big guy, the guy you go to. See, my uh, contrarian instinct there was almost wanting to go completely the other direction, which is. Maybe he's good enough to kind of scrape by, but he's kind of a loser who's trying to make it big. <laughs> and um, just again, because like in real life, that's kind of how most con- real con artists are. I mean, you have sure, you know your sure. you know your your uh, Enron people, which is a whole different kind of thing. But when you're talking about people who are you know running the pigeon drop scam on somebody, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Those people are not doing well. But I also like this idea that if he's seen as kind of a loser, maybe he's always talking about he actually knows a way out of the dungeon, but just like everybody thinks he's full of it because he's lying all the time anyway, and he seems like kind of a loser. How would he have a way out of the dungeon? Sure, absolutely. Maybe the problem is it's like he knows it's there, but he also knows it's in this place that's so dangerous that he doesn't feel like he could make it out by himself. Okay. And okay. yet he can't like he doesn't know how he would get through whatever that gauntlet is. And he doesn't trust anybody to to go out and actually confide in them. So he has to overcome his trust issues to 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 connect with another person to help to get out. Yeah. I like he it. might he might have some cynical thing of like everyone always thinks he's a liar anyway, so fine, I'll be a liar. And <laughs> and and he's good at it, so maybe he he's uh comfortable with a degree of self-loathing there sure um, but it's Kristen who actually believes in something that makes him start thinking well maybe i i could believe in something too sure yeah and that that makes him a much more complex character i like that i like that shauna uh, uh what else is on your mind as as we wander through this 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 deep dungeon of story deliciousness well, I think it's important to remember that Kristen is also a con artist, right? She is she is right. presenting as a sexual person when really she's an assassin. And so, you know, developing a character like Zilk means that you want to be highly aware that there are two people who are doing the same thing probably in entirely different ways. And so the way that they play off each other, I think, is going to be important in developing those characters. And so depending on how you go, whether Kristen loves being a con artist or hates it or is good at it or bad at it, you want to have him potentially either reflect or refract her experience so that there's some some internal tension about what it means to be a con artist and Mm -hmm. what, you know, all of those things. And so... Um, I think all of these ideas have potential and it's really about deciding who your main character is 
so that he can play off of her strengths or weaknesses, um, or they can be, you know, I, I think that's an important element to consider is that space between them. Um, because that, you know, when you have two characters who are similar or have parallel experiences or jobs or interests, you really want to, you got to really work that space in between. Yeah. Now, and, and you raise a good point. And, and a lot of the discussion that we've had so far has really kind of rendered the protagonist as kind of she could be this she could be that she could be something else which makes it really hard then to to nail down like the end game the 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 climax of the story because we're not sure what the issues are that that's a good point right because one of the themes that's coming out that potentially is is this sense of of misdirection right the wizards were supposed to protect the town but they didn't Kristen's going to have sex with you but actually she's going to kill you uh zilk's going to be a con dude uh, and, and I think there's potential in that in the dungeon and making the dungeon. And, and of course, this is a theme you may not even want to pick up. But, you know, the, the dungeon presents it one, as one thing, but it's really another thing, right? It presents as a plain old dungeon, but it's actually living and, and, and it's magical and it keeps everyone trapped there or however you want to go, right? And so there's this theme that's kind of coming up in the conversation that as a potential, which is sort of how we present to the world and what our purpose behind that is, right? Is it malicious? Is it benevolent? Is it somewhere in between? Um, how do we feel about about those faces that we put on? Are we good at it? Are we bad at it? Um, and so that's it's an interesting idea to start playing around with potentially as one of the larger themes um, of the book. Absolutely. Look, guys, I'm I'm looking at the clock and it's it's winding down. Uh, uh, in fact, it's probably wound down. It's flat. It's 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 a Salvador Dali clock at this point. Um, so I'm going to ask for one last quick trip around the table. Uh, some final thoughts. Fill fill Michael's pockets full of literary gold, uh, so we can go out and 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 write this epic tale. Shauna, we'll we'll lead off with you. Uh, uh, final thoughts for Michael to send him on his way. I think that you have some really, really cool concepts and I think that you've done a ton of sort of thinking about kind of what's happening and the main characters. You really understand that like each character sort of needs something that they're afraid of, has something that they want and that 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 motivates the characters in the way that they interact. Um, And I feel like at this point, your next step is probably sort of figuring out exactly the story that you want to tell and why. Um, And I feel like you're really close to that um, in terms of sort of the themes um, and the driving elements of the story. And um, and it feels right. It feels like the right length for the for a novel that is has potentially three books. So I feel like there's a lot that's working. This next step is just sort of that backing up and kind of looking at the big picture uh, of the story that you want to tell. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Christiana, what about you? Final thoughts? I think that there's a lot to work with here, but I definitely think that there's a a ground level thing that doesn't need to be all decided right away. But given that the whole thing centers around the idea of this dungeon, we you need to settle in your own mind. What is the dungeon? What is it like? What is its nature? Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of the story might flow from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem I've had so far is I don't have a good grasp of exactly what the dungeon truly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's going to hinge from the part that you're not really sure who Kristen is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still in flux. And and once once her themes are are addressed, and and I'm sorry, I'm jumping in here. Christiana, was there? Did you have anything else for your final thoughts? Uh, no, but I think you were kind of getting there too, which is just the idea that all of the different characters themes will kind of inform each other so kind of that's that's how you build it right you say, yep. well what is Kristen's theme and how could the dungeon itself 
be a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Well, and and for myself, I mean, having Shauna on this this round table brainstorm froth uh, uh, is, I think, I think is probably could could be the best matching we could possibly have for you, Michael, because I think the key is the characters. And I'm sure Sean is going, yeah, duh. Um, but uh, but the giving raising the stakes for each character, and and I loved Shauna's observation about uh, uh, giving them giving all of them something that they love, something that they care about, something it, it, it doesn't have to be an ideal or or a person, as she said, but it, they need to have that capacity to love something, some way. And as soon as they can do that, they become truer. They become realer in the in your heart as the writer and also in the reader's eyes. Um, raising their stakes. Uh, uh, you know, giving, giving uh, I, I keep calling him Murtic and it's Melzik. Uh, uh, giving Melzik a horse in this game. Um, I'm, I'm just, side note, the scepter of power just has this big MacGuffin sign on it, and I'm 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 not sure you need that. Uh, uh, giving Melzik some reason to want her in there. Uh, uh, the 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 comp, the end game, the fusion of of Urgyle, uh and and Melzik being bound in Sten's body. Uh, there's something about that 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 grates, and and I I can't put my finger on it. It, it almost invalidates Sten's character arc uh un- unless unless he somehow can control those two uh uh and and having that be the end it's like that's it so nothing was resolved the end we we need a clearer closure of some kind uh Urgal needs to die uh or 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 the revelation of the larger reality of the dungeon needs to change everyone's priorities uh, uh, and maybe create a ticking clock or something. I don't know. Um, uh, there's, there's, there's still more to root through, but by expanding, deepening and complexifying your characters, giving them high, high stakes, uh, uh, giving them that thing to love, understanding where they come from and what they want. Uh, uh, everything will fall out from that. Cause you've got this wonderful world and these awesome set pieces that you're moving these characters through. And I love it. Uh, uh, we just need to give those characters some more color and, and edges and hooks so that they can, they can bounce off of those set pieces, uh, in a delightful way that that's pleasing to the eye and the heart. So, all right. Wow. Um, Michael, dude, uh, uh, awesome, awesome story feast that you laid before us. Now, now here's the deal, uh, as is always the case on the round table, you go out, you write this thing and you put it out in the world somehow. So people are reading it, whether you self pub, trad pub, PDF on your website, doesn't matter. You do that. Let us know. We'll have you back and we will knight you, sir. You shall be a knight of the round table. You down with that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We will well and we'll hold the dungeon nighting ceremony in the dungeon. Uh, uh so it'll be, you know, the round table dungeon, which isn't nearly as scary, but can still be pretty creepy. So awesome. 
Uh, and uh, Shauna Germain, ma'am, you are the reason why we bring seasoned veterans onto the show. Uh, thank you so much for your insights. You kept us grounded in, in what really was important uh, uh, in the story and, and offered some some marvelous, inspiring insights. We so appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading this when you're finished with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we all are. There's, 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 some, there's some rich story food to be feasted on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christiana Ellis, let's not make this the last time you're my co-host, okay? Sounds good to me. I couldn't agree more. This this is this has been a delight, and, and I look forward to the next time we, we delve into a story together. We'll make this happen. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> and as long as we're doling out the gratitude, dear friends, thank you for tuning in, as always. Uh, uh, if, if you don't, we're... we're <laughs> We're just shouting in the potosphere into the void to no effect or purpose. Uh, uh, so you help close that circuit for us. Thank you so much. If you're feeling the love, feel free to drop a, a review out on iTunes. Every single one helps boost our rankings so people can find us out there. And thank you so very much to the wonderful, you know, not only comments, but insights and feedback we've been getting out there. That's awesome. Uh, we do have a, a forum out on the Roundtable podcast website. So if any of of these discussions have sparked some ideas. Uh, I, I know Michael's a part of that forum, so by all means, go out there and, and, and toss some more ideas uh, out there, and, and we can continue this this brainstorming discussion uh, out on Tay interwebs. So, whew. Well, more so than ever, I'm I'm lighting up a cigarette because that was that was pretty freaking awesome. Uh, and the awesome thing is 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 as as spent and exhausted as we all are lounging against the virtual table here. In a seven days, it's going to start all over again. We're going to have another fabulous, courageous guest writer come back with another awesome story idea, another fabulous guest host, uh, bringing their wisdom and pouring it so generously into our ears. More roundtable goodness to be had by all. Uh, but that's seven days. That's a long time. I know it's cruel that we make you wait seven days. Christiana, what should our listeners be doing to, to make those seven days fly by like the wind? Go do something worth telling a story about. Oh, have an adventure. That's awesome. And then, yes, absolutely, write it down. Share your stories with the world. That's, that's the most fabulous message in a bottle you can send out there. And for myself, friends, I'll tell you as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the fabulosity. Look for look for that blue label shiny bottle up on the top shelf or the pretty package in the back of the tree. And if you look for it, you will find it. I promise. We'll see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, 
visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.